Hey, thanks for tuning into the Beer Muddy Things podcast, your place for education and happenings in the craft food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner, and here I interview folks around the world that are truly daring muddy things in the industry. My goal is to entertain, educate, and inspire. And if I'm doing those things, please, please give a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a comment. This goes a long way in helping others find the show. And, you know, hey, I appreciate it. So with that, let's get into it. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. That's what you listen to while you brew. It's a beautiful little Friday here. Today, we welcome in the dispense division trainer at Micromatic in Chicago, Illinois, David Green. David, how are you? I'm terrific. Thanks, Kyle. Nice to be here. Very good. Good to have you. Um, I'm going to do something that I've never done on, on air before. So uh, usually in the beginning, uh, there's a, a crack of beer at the... Uh, you know, the, the podcast intro and it's all recorded. It was a real beer that I had cracked, but today we're going to actually crack a beer because it's happy hour in Pennsylvania and uh, why not? So great. I have a, a 5% cream ale called Iliato from Attic Brewing Company in Pennsylvania, uh, just out, you know, in Philadelphia basically, but uh, I'm going to do this on live on air. All right, cool. <laughs> David is not drinking beer today at the moment. I've been hearing the cream ale uh, style here quite a bit lately. I, I don't know that I've ever had one, so I've really? something all of a sudden that's popular here. I've you know, several it's, uh, things I've read about it recently. I think you're kind of a lager guy or something, right? I mean, I know you were talking. We'll, we'll get into sours and things like that, but I I know you were kind of like, how the hell do you guys drink those things? So, what do you drink? Uh, I'm a dark beer guy. I like uh, okay. anything dark, uh, robust porters, uh, uh, stouts. Uh, huge nitro fan as well. Nice. Um, a lot of red ales, um, more of an ale guy, lower on the lower on the carbonation scale for my palate. So. Yeah. Okay. That's perfect. Um, so, so when you do, you know, you're in Rockford, Illinois, which is what you said, 70 miles south of uh, Chicago. Yeah. West. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, west of Chicago. Right. I was going to say, I don't know if maybe you're going to pop over to buddy guys or something and, you know, check out some blues in Chicago this weekend. Uh, in the, back in the day, you're for sure. I lived there not too far from there, as a matter of fact, for a long time. So that was a, a good spot for sure. So. Yeah, I thought maybe you'd be getting some Giordano's with some uh, old style lager or something like that. Nah, 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 that's nonsense. <laughs> uh, well, you, sir, are very important to me and to the listeners. And uh, we need you, um, especially if we like good, clean beer. So, Real quick, we'll, we'll jump into, uh, you know, first, who is Micromatic? So Micromatic is a draft beer equipment manufacturer, right? We don't make beer and we don't make the glass you're drinking there, but we make everything in between from point A to point B. Uh, believe it or not, we our, our motto, our, our theme is we're from the keg to the glass because um, we actually make the keg sphere that's in the actual keg, right? This is the, the, the valve that goes down to the bottom of the keg. We are the manufacturer of that. We're the global leader. We make 70% of the valves in the whole wide world. So seven out of every 10 kegs on planet Earth have our equipment in it, okay? Yeah. Whether you knew it or not, anytime anybody's ever tapped a keg, your brewery customers, if they've cleaned, filled, bought kegs, uh, they have more than likely used a micromatic valve. We don't make the keg package. We just make the valve that's inside of it, right? So we've been making those since 1960, uh, way before my time, uh, and they have evolved over the years. And at some point, 
somebody in the company said, wait a minute, we make this valve. Why don't we make the next piece, the next piece, the next piece, and so on. So we say we're from the keg to the glass because we truly are. We're in just about a, a, a ton of the kegs. And then I make the coupler, everything out to the, the faucet that the, the customer is going to pull to do that. Now, that draft system could be five feet long, could be 15 feet long, could be 500 feet long, right? Yeah. Uh, think about stadiums, casinos, cruise ships, stuff like that. Uh, it's crazy, but people do do that, right? So so that's what we do. And uh, uh, our other thing that I, I, I constantly say is we kind of call it the three C's. With draft beer, it, it has to be cold. It has to be carbonated and it has to be clean, right? Those are our three C's, pretty simple uh, mantra to live by there to be able to do that. So our goal, my job is to take your brewers, their their work, their blood, sweat, and tears, what they put into that keg, that that same thing should come out into the customer's glass, right? Uh, uh, I don't want to do that. I have had too many bad beers in my life uh, or a sip or two. I'm not going to drink the whole thing anymore. There was a very frugal time in my life when I would drink anything that was put in front of me. But uh, uh, but today I can be a little bit more pickier. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe I know too much, like how the sausage is made. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can tell a beer. Uh, I, I you know, I think I have the, the luxury or whatnot that I know it's probably not the beer. Right. It is probably not the beer that something happened between point A and point B. Uh, to do that. Just a quick example. Four weeks ago, my wife and I, we went to Florida for a quickie vacation. She's in the school uh, teaching business and that little spring break and we snuck down there. Hadn't really even been out in Illinois. We've been shut down pretty good like most of the rest of the country. So um, um, we went down to Florida, sand, sun, beach, at a beach bar when we first got there. I ordered a draft beer. I hadn't even ordered a draft beer in a year, I don't think, right? Yeah. And it was just horrendous. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. A local brewery in the Florida area, I actually know a little bit about the brewery. I know it wasn't their fault, yeah. but it's, it was. there was two other people sitting at the cabana with us or at the bar, I, I should say, and they both said, I don't think we need to go to that brewery this trip. See, that sucks. Right? And that was a complete misrepresentation of that brewery's product, right? And and I knew enough to do that, but you know, again, these folks they're they're spending their hard-earned money too, and they they actually said, "I don't need to go to that brewery while we're here." So it's uh, unfortunate. You know, it just it just kills me to do that uh, as well. And then the last part of that story, the server, she kind of saw my face getting scrunched up, right, when I took a big swig of that. And she said, is everything okay? And I said, no, this doesn't taste right. And she said, no, that's the way it always is and walked away. So, <laughs> so unfortunately, mm. you know, that that's where draft beer gets, you know, a bum rap a lot of times, right? Yeah. It can be very inconsistent uh, with that. So our job is to keep that beer cold, keep it carbonated and keep it clean to put it into that customer's glass. So they order another one or go visit that brewery, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. You want them to go there. Absolutely. Yeah, it just broke my heart to hear him say that. So Yeah, it's unfortunate. The brewery loses control when their beer leaves their premises. Yeah, there's a brewery up in Wisconsin that I'm a big, big fan of. And and uh, their things is we cannot control what happens when it leaves our building. We simply yeah. cannot control it. So it's a shame, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it is a lot better. I've been with Micromatic 20 years now. I just had my 20th anniversary this month. Nice, um, it is a lot better, but there is a long, long way to go. So just real quick back to that story. 
you so you didn't drink that beer now did you try a different beer or did you drink spirits the rest of the trip or just what happened I ordered a package product uh, right that okay. I saw it right there. And I, I am draft through and through and through. I, I Again, it, it, it is always, and I mean always my first choice, but I'm not going to have bad products. So I, I again, and, and like 90% of the Americans, we drink packaged good, right? Draft is really, before pandemic, draft was only 10% of the market, 10, 11% of the market, right? So think of all the beer sold. Um, you can go to other countries, other areas, and draft is 20, 30, 50%, yeah. 60, 70% of the market. Well, well, why is that? They got better beer than us? I don't think so, uh, uh, right? But it's the way it's handled, taken care of. Um, we just, uh, uh, you know, believe it or not, the, the, in the United States, beer is not food, right? Beer is not regulated by any FDA or, or things. Well, we better be careful what we wish for here, too, by the way. But but it's uh, under alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. So there's no rules. There is absolutely no rules on the sanitation, really, really. Uh, I mean, there are some things, but it, it's very hard to enforce them. Or, or, you know, if you've ever had a bad beer in Pennsylvania or anywhere else, then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 99.9% of the time, it's not the beer. It's, it's the, the system that it went through or something. And what difference do you notice between um, a package product and a draft beer? Well, package is consistently consistent. I guess that's a dumb way yeah. of saying it, but it, it's just consistent. A customer almost always knows what they're going to get when they crack that can or bottle, right? Uh, uh, to do that. Um, the bigger breweries pasteurize their package goods so they can, they have, they're more shelf stable. They last longer, whether they're at a, a, a you know, a grocery store, a liquor store, uh, 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 what do you guys call them out there? D stores out there in Pennsylvania. You know, you're the only ones that have them, right? So, <laughs> but we you are, know, they could be unique. sitting out, they could be sitting out warm for, you know, weeks, if not months, uh, but they've been protected by their pasteurization, right? Where draft is, is not that. And, and, uh, it's quite an expensive process. So, uh, you know, almost every brewer I've ever talked to, they don't want to pasteurize it. They, they by cooking their product, it, they change it. They physically yep. alter it. Now, I never think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? If, uh, uh, you know, just because you cook something, but it is a different product per se. Uh, it's, it's not a different product, forgive me, but, you know, if, if, if something has changed, then it is a little bit different. But, uh, you know, that fresh draft beer, uh, man, that's that's one of my favorite things to have. So. Very nice. So you said you're you're 20 years here with Micromatic, and you started there as a sales rep, right? That's correct. Yeah, I was hired uh, in 2001 as a, a sales rep. I had been in sales my whole life, selling all kinds of different products, and uh, uh, had a job change, and uh, ended up uh, somehow blindly walking into Micromatic. I had never heard of Micromatic before, as most people have not. Uh, whenever anybody sees me with my Micromatic gear on or whatever, they seem to think that we're a computer uh, software company, right? Yeah, uh, right. We, we yeah. sound more like that, uh, if you will. But uh, um, just uh, happened to, to be another sales gig and uh, uh, been enjoying beer for much, much longer than that, but didn't know anything really other than how to, how to drink it, right? right. Um, so just uh, uh, came into it and uh, uh, took care of uh, uh, five, six Midwestern states I was responsible for about five years uh, or so. And then we had started a draft training program right then about 2000, 2001 uh, as well. Um, we're an equipment manufacturer, right? If, if you don't use my equipment right, it can be wrong. If things are, are wrong, again, it's all about this quality 
Uh, draft beer, you know, it, it was not that necessarily popular. Draft beer got to very, very low points at some point, right? Um, a lot of the beer distributors that bring the beer to, to the bars and restaurants, right, or whatever, if these folks would self-distribute, I guess that really wasn't a thing back in the day. But, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of trouble with draft beer, right? There, there's, there's all kinds of problems, maintenance and things that need to be done. Um, you know, people would say, get rid of draft beer. I don't want it. I don't have any trouble with a can or a bottle, right? There's just simply no problem with those uh, to do that. So, uh, you know, it's our job as, a, as an equipment. We want to sell the draft equipment, right? So so how well, how are we going to sell more equipment, right? We'll get more people to drink draft, right? Yeah. And, then, and then it's just been on an uphill uh, a climb for many, many years here, right, as, as uh, to do that. The first draft beer system I sold was six faucets, meaning six taps, right? Uh, uh, now, how many people, how many faucets do these places have in Philly and everywhere else now, right? I mean, 30, like 40, 100, yeah. 200, yeah. 300. Yeah. Kyle, we did one, 320 faucets. That's crazy. That's awesome, right? Uh, we sell the metal stuff. We're good with that, Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. To be able to do that, but it had to be with quality. And then that really, uh, you know, wasn't because of us, but it was uh, perfect timing with the, the, the quality and then the, the craft beer and the big beer and, you know, people just starting to enjoy uh, 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 draft beer much more. And, and again, until the pandemic hit, uh, um, you know, draft beer, as you probably know, with your customers and the yep. Brewers Association, they track all that stuff. I think we're at 10,000 some breweries today now, right? Jesus. It's crazy. It's wild. It's awesome. I just to think when I started working on, you know, in the, the brewery space for insurance wise, you know, we were kind of that we were still below that 4,000 brewery mark. That was the, you know, pre-prohibition, <laughs> right? So, and now it's just, you know, every corner and that's what Philadelphia was, you know, was always um, a brewery on every corner that, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a sure. city of, of the city of neighborhoods. Right. So every corner you had your local brewery and now we're kind of, we're getting back to that. And, and to your point too, is like your beer has to be portrayed. Well, it has to come through that faucet clean, cold and carbonated or else you're going to go a block away to the next brewery. Yeah, well, and like your earlier question, you know, did I switch to a beverage or, you know, a wine or a cocktail or something? I mean, and, and folks will do that for sure. I mean, whatever. Or, you know, I always say, hey, man, I'm going to vote with my feet, too. I'm going next door or or to do that. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's, it, again, forgive me, I'll probably say this way too many times, but pre-pandemic, you know, you'd get four or five, six people together, a couple couples, whatever, and nobody can figure out where to go to dinner, right? Nobody knows. Yeah, where do you want to go? And, and, you know, in Beverly, somebody's got to make that decision, right? Well, finally, you know, and I'm not a crazy forward guy, but I'll say, listen, let's go here. And it's, you know, it ain't because of the hamburger. It's because I know I can get a good quality beer. <laughs> you know, they have right? a micromatic draft system. I, I, well, yeah. It, it, or even if not, if it's, if I know that it's clean and, and properly taken care of, right. Uh, um, I can, uh, I can get a burger anywhere, but I want a good quality beer. Uh, uh, to do that. And again, I'm, I've been drinking beer for a long time and I don't care if it's a macro or, or a yeah. micro or the, the yeah. latest, whatever, as long as it's cold, clean and carbonated and uh, in my wheelhouse, I'm all over it. I love it. Cool. So, so um, you guys then created the, the course and then you became, you know, a facilitator, right? You do three day dispense Institute programs, on-site training. As we started this, we had uh, my boss was who originally started it. Um, Micromatic, we are, are, are a, a privately owned company out of Denmark, right? We're a global company. There's beer all over planet Earth. So are we. 
uh, to do that. But uh, in the United States, they um, they they're they're kind of their some of their Danish models are by education. People will you know if people can understand what this is, hey, maybe they'll we can sell it to them, right? Uh, to be able to do that, we are not Mother Teresa by any means here. Uh, uh, but uh, so we started this draft training program, and we started it uh, actually here where I am in my Illinois office. And it was uh, actually quite a hit. Um, our company, Micromatic, uh, uh, spent a few million dollars, and we actually have four training facilities. We are here in, in Illinois, outside Chicago. We're uh, just up the road from you in in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yep. yep. Uh, we, we are in uh, Tampa, Florida, Brooksville, actually, uh, just north of Tampa, and we're in uh, LA as well. So we have warehouses, and we have we built these training facilities. So folks that were on the East Coast, West Coast, Southeast, whatever, you know, they don't have to travel all over heck to, to get to this, uh, to do this. So it's a three-day seminar that we have. And, you know, it started out uh, uh, going and then, and, and, and generally it was all beer wholesalers, right? This would be the Bud, the Miller, the Coors, the Import, the Craft House, or maybe even not a Craft back in that time, honestly, uh, because they took care of everything, right? Uh, it, it, it was Cradle to grave is just another thing that we say all the time, right? If the, your local distributor there in Philly, they did everything. They really did everything, right? They brought you the beer. They put the system in. They maintained it. And they maybe cleaned it, uh, whatever. And that was fine. But, you know, most states have laws. It's illegal to give things away, right? To give things in value. And, and that's another part of our issue here is every state can do whatever they want. But that's a whole nother animal. But, um, you know, but people had four or five beers on tap, two, three beers on tap. And that was a doable thing for that distributor. They did all that service to maintain their taps, right? They wanted to keep their flavors in that bar or restaurant or whatever, tavern, right? Uh, to do that. Well, now that was doable. But now with 30, 40, 50, 100 taps, that's insane. The, this yeah. is the physical cost of the equipment and to maintain all that, that, that should not be on their shoulders, but people still expect that because that's the way it's always been, right? Right. Uh, to be able to do that. So, so anyways, that was our, 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 the people that came was because they were the only ones that dealt with it. Well, over the years, we got different folks, a different subset of people to come in, right? And then we started getting, uh, you know, it, 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 this came to be a thing where line cleaners, folks that would actually come and clean the beer yep. lines would come yep. in. Uh, you know, then uh, um, we would get, uh, you know, uh, brewery people, right? Uh, I, I love brewers and your, fan, your, 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 your uh, crowd here. I don't want to get them too pissed at me, but I don't know how to make beer. I really don't uh, uh, know enough to stick my foot in my mouth, right? But man, they have trouble dispensing it. You put it in the keg and I'll move it. How about that? Let's make a deal here, right? I'll maintain it for you uh, to do that. So the brewers started coming in, brewery people uh, uh, as well. Now there's whole companies today, uh, Philadelphia has them, everybody does, yep. companies that actually install, maintain and do yep. this work, right? They might do soda work as well too, or you know, yep. who knows what, but someone has to do this equipment uh, to do this as well. So that was another uh, genre of people. And then basic, maybe even less now the retailers, the end users are starting to come, whether it would be a chain restaurant or, or you know, whatever, uh, to even local bars and that. And uh, retail end users, um, you know, I, I always would start asking them, why are you here? You know, it's a it's not a free course. It's it's an expensive proposition, a week of your life, you know, whatever. And a, a lot of them just say again and again, I can't get the answers 
from my beer personnel, or I can't get the answers to do this. I, I, I want draft beer. I know how profitable, I know how good it is. Why is the guy next door is better than mine, the, beer, the, the bar next door, right, mm. to be able to do that. So we cover the whole sphere now. Uh, we have refrigeration people coming, uh, you know, all kinds of trades out there because, remember, our, our first C was cold, right? If, if we can't mm. keep it cold, then the whole thing's uh, uh, not going to work at all. So we need refrigeration. Second C was carbonation. Uh, just this week and, and next week, I did a class exclusively for gas a gas company, CO2, the people that supply the CO2 and nitrogen to, yeah. to the bars and restaurants yeah. or to the breweries as well, too. Well, they're, you know, they're dropping it off at the back door, but then they're, whoa, 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 you know, what does this do? What is that? You know, I don't know. Or, or they're being asked, hey, there's a gas leak here that, you know, and these are, these can all cause trouble uh, sure. uh, out there. And, and so, you know, the more people we get involved with this and understand, um, again, like I said earlier, you know, so many people in the past days, they just got rid of draft. They threw it out the back door because of these little problems right. that kind of can become big problems. But, you know, if you don't understand it, you can make it worse yeah. or, uh, or uh, you know, it, it's just and, and, you know, the crazy price of beer. I'm sure you're aware of some of what this, this, this stuff costs. Right. I mean, it, I've seen six barrels that are six hundred dollars. And, and, you know, when it's foaming out of the tap, that ain't, that's not flying. Right. Uh, but I always say, I don't care if it's, you know, a natty light or the most expensive, whatever, it should be cold, carbonated and clean and, and, and put in the customer's glass so we can sell that. So. Yeah. I love it. I, I actually had uh, I had a product recall um, insurance claim years ago that, you know, 200 kegs went out um, the carbonation button. They were, they were brewed on a, you know, at a contract brewery, a, a large, larger scale. I think it was like a, something like a 200 barrel, you know, system, um, 200 kegs had gone out and those kegs had to all be recalled because they were over carbonated. The, the, you know, the automated system, the wrong button was hit. We had to recall 200 kegs. It was like, it was like $22,000 to recall those products just to bring them back from the marketplace. Um, you know, and they were all obviously pre-sold and all that, and, you know, now you gotta, they have a tap line that at each of these, you know, places that, now is looking for the next beer. So, right. Yeah. That, that can be quite damaging. Right. And, and even if it, you know, wasn't something like that, but we do see this uh, on, on some of our smaller craft uh, 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 brewers out there, you know, they're trying to dial these things in and it, it's, it's a difficult process to make, right. People don't understand that, you know, that's a hard thing to do and to do it the same and be consistent time and time and time again. And well, yep. so the last barrel was fine, but this barrel is foam. You know, what's different? Well, it can't be the beer. Right? I mean, this is the end user maybe thinking that. Yeah. Or, so it's the equipment or it's this or it's that, right? You know, to do that. Now we've had to, honestly, it's been probably a 20, 30 times in my career, we found and we had to get the equipment, a Zamenagel meter or something like that to, it was the beer, but it usually is not the beer. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, when, when I'm talking about stinky beer or, you know, you know, flat beer, or, you know, again, just, uh, uh, you know, those types of things are off flavors, off taste and that stuff. Yeah. That's, that's usually not taste. the brewer's issue. But uh, yes, yeah. we have had some product. And again, we, we make the, the valve, the spear that's in the keg, right? So we've had some issues with the seals on that. I, I bought kegs myself for our classes that, the keg was completely flat by the time I opened it because there was a leak in the steel. And then these are rare, but again, I would eventually we're going to know how to figure that out. But right. you know, somebody on Broadway uh, by the ballpark for you guys there, they don't, they, you know, all they're, they're just pissed on a Friday night that, uh, 
you know, that keg of, of whatever, it ain't working. And they pay nothing, for it. Nothing right? worse than, you know, your, your closer blows a save and now you got flat beer also. It's like, <laughs> come on, man. Uh, you come stand here. Come on. Well, you're, what'd you say? You're a Bears fan? I said, you're talking to a Bears fan. We, we know all about the... You got the Super Bowl shuffle, man. Come on. Ah, right. One. Are you a Cubs or a White Sox fan? I actually, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. Okay. So, All right. so I got some wins over on that side of the, the scale. Here, so. Baseball heaven over there. That's a great state. Right. So I, I did, uh, I, I, I am uh, uh, paying my penance, though. I married a Cub fan. So. Okay. Okay. So we, we, we don't have enough things to fight about, right? So. Well, we, she's, she's got a ring now, too, right? So. Yeah, got one. Yep. Awesome. Cool. So I did some digging on you. I couldn't find you on LinkedIn, but, um, you know, I did a little Google search and, um, I was able to find some, uh, some educational keg draft line cleaning videos that, uh, you didn't know were out there. So I, uh, I thought this was, was super pertinent, made sense, but we have basically, you know, 10 elements of draft line cleaning, right? So the first two are, you know, Hey, beer's too cold beer is too warm. Can you talk to me about, you know, what that means when the beer is too cold? What does that mean? What can that affect? So, uh, believe it or not, you know, again, another kind of misconception, probably not with your crowd here, but, but a lot of folks, you know, what, you know, what is every beer commercial basically telling you how cold it should be, right. Uh, to yeah. be able to do that. But, uh, um, you know, too cold, the CO2, uh, uh goes to sleep, right. Uh, every beer known to man has CO2 in it, right. Uh, uh, to do that part of the brewing process. Again, I'll put my foot in my mouth there. I, uh, not saying any breaking any ground here, but all beer has carbonation in it, and most brewers add more to do whatever they want to. They've lost some through movement, through production, or, Hey, I want to get it up to this mouth feel, right. This CO2, this gas, right. It's this crazy thing that's odorless and tasteless, but if it ain't there, you know uh, uh, to Absolutely. do that, right? So I always use the analogy of a, a two liter of soda in the fridge. I'm not a big soda drinker, but most folks can relate to this, right? If you have it after a couple of days, it's flat. Well, how long does it take from the tip of your tongue to your brain to know that it's flat? I mean, a millisecond, right? Yep. Uh, to be able to do that. So no different any carbonated beverage. So if a beer is too cold, it actually, the gas, uh, I want that gas to be happy and calm. Okay, at 38 degrees Fahrenheit is, is the absolute pristine temperature for the CO2. I know a lot of folks like their beer a little colder, a lot of beer folks like their beer warmer, right? And I get that and we can go, that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down here. But to, to keep for our thing, for most of it, to get the beer through a draft system into the customer's glass, uh, a sellable product, we have to keep the CO2 dissolved in the liquid, staying in solution, right? So we pour a pint of beer, we wanna make it nice and smooth. You'll see a lot of servers tilting the glass 45 degree angle. I don't want a lot of agitation, right? I'm sure you've seen plenty of beer mispoured or whatnot uh, to do that. Well then at, at towards three quarters or so, depending on the beer style, maybe I'll upright the glass and then I get a little agitation. I want to create that collar of foam, right? It's supposed to be there. It brings out the aromas, the flavors, the esters, everything, all that yummy stuff that your folks work so hard to put in there and let's bring it out, right? That helps bring that out as well. Well, what happens when the beer is too cold, and I'm sure you got some great, wonderful bars in Philly there that say coldest beer in town, right? Uh, <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of our good places or whatever, is they also have food products in the same storage cooler, right? 
And, you know, it's just, it's just, just drives me nuts that they care more about the head of lettuce than they do about the 10 barrels of beer. So maybe they set that cooler too cold for their food products. And what that will do is that gas, instead of being able to come out and release those flavors and aroma, it's like it, it shrinks down and, and it can't come out, right? So now the beer physically looks flat because it, you, it's very difficult if it's yeah. too cold. And, uh, and now we're talking low 30s here, right? Uh, 36 below, 32. Again, it's not uncommon some places uh, to do that. You simply can't get ahead on the beer because the gas, it's still in there. But then the customer's two things. The customer looks at it. And, and you know, re the reason we use glass, clear glasses is so we can see it, right? It's all about the visual, how beautiful that looks, right? Yeah. Uh, you have that glass there, that Stella glass. That's one of the prettiest glasses when it's done properly as well, too, to be able to do that. So, if the, the you know, you, you don't get ahead, and again, depending on the crowd, trust me, I've been to the VFW yeah. and all these other places, and right, boy, right. you better fill that thing up, right? <laughs> those those guys deserved it, and, and gals, and they, they fill that son of a gun up, right? But, uh, uh, you know, so, and then, you know, the customer is going to drink it, and they're not going to get that, that the taste and flavor, right? The, the people assume that it's flat, too, by the way, right? Right. Uh, the gas is in there. It's just it's just so cold that it, it, it the molecules have condensed and they simply can't uh, open up to, to do what it's supposed to do. So the, the retailer, the end user loses really three ways. Number one, the beer doesn't look as good or taste as good. And also, I happen to have a pint glass here. I know a lot of people do not like this. This is my favorite type glass here, though, yeah. uh, is, you know, that half inch collar of foam or whatever yeah. they desire Number one, it, again, it's what it's supposed to do. Number two is is its profit uh, to be able to do that, right? And if they don't have it, if it's so cold or the server fills it up, you know, they're given an ounce, two ounces away every that's single true. pour to do that. Now, the, every, every the six people, pint, that's a lost, that's lost. That's money. a lost pint, exactly. Lost and, you know, again, depending on the cost per ounce of the product, I mean, you know, over the weeks and months for sure to do that. And then the third thing, you know, I don't know if a lot of people get, uh, you know, think about this is, you know, when we do drink beer, we get filled up on the gas that's in the beer uh, to be able to do that. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, you look like a nice, handsome young man here. I'm sure it's never happened to you, but you ever go out to uh, have uh, go out with the intention of having dinner. But, you know, perhaps beer became dinner. Yeah. Uh, you know, for multiple reasons. I won't go into that. For sure. But, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you get filled up, uh, you know, and, and then what does that do to your check total, right? Uh, you know, I'm not going to do dessert. I, I'm not going to do the app or I eat the app and ah, I'm too full. Yeah. Well, if if I could have had that, it takes somewhere around, depending on the beer, about a third of the gas that's in that pint to create that head. So, so the gas that's left the liquid now is in the atmosphere, if you will, and it's not in me. And I might, by golly, have room for another one as well, too. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it can be. A, a negative in, in multiple ways, right? To do that. So I will say though, it's the, the, the too warm that's most of our trouble, right? Uh, so 38 is is the sweet spot. And again, uh, I know I'll have my contractors there, but this is where CO2 is as stable. This is the physics behind the CO2 gas, right? It's as stable and as happy as it will ever, ever possibly be. So we want to be in there. So to be successful, to put that beer in the glass, I need that storage temperature and that maintain temperature, whether it's long draw or whatever, 36 to 40. That's our four degree window. That's our little happy playground, right? That's where we need to be. And if I get too much below 36 and too much above 40, that's when the bad things happen. And and it, it, it's truly true that, uh, that sounds silly too, uh, that 90% uh, of the issues with draft are temperature related, 90%. 
Okay. And of that 97% are too warm. And then meaning now just the opposite of what I said, if that CO2 molecule, that, that gas now, if you make a gas hot, it expands and it gets mad, it gets angry, whatever word people like to use, yeah. and then it breaks out of solution, right? And then that's all that foam that you see at the bar uh, to do that. So, you know, CO2 gets upset a couple of different ways through agitation and through uh, uh, temperature, mainly temperature. But if you can think about if you've ever opened up a warm can of beer, a warm bottle of beer, you know, it just blows up with the gas because it's warm to do that. Um, just something a lot of my guy friends seem to do. We shake the heck out of a can of beer, a bottle of beer, throw it to you and see what happens when you <laughs> open it up. Right. So there's agitation as well, yeah. too. Right. Uh, to do that. So those are just a couple of ways most folks have probably seen, but, you know, we got to keep that gas happy if we're going to put the glass in the beer uh, to do that. And, and that, that warmth, you know, again, there could be multiple factors, right? The customer's cooler. If it's a long draw system, the glycol system, right. Or, or, you know, multiple things as well. There's three or four different cold points we could look at and, 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 and as well. So temperature is just critical to the whole darn thing. Yeah. And what about, you know, I actually haven't been to Europe yet and we were supposed to go to Ireland, um, but the pandemic hit. So I've often heard that, you know, the beer over there is a little warmer, um, you know, say like a Guinness. Now, is that is that true? Um, or if it is true, what temperature are they serving at? And no, it's it's not true. It's not true. Okay. Now it, it is true because before refrigeration, of course, there was no cold, right? To, okay. to be able to do that. So uh uh so all beer has CO2 in it yep. and CO2 is affected by temperature, right? So uh, uh, several different myths here, or it's not myths, this is just the way it is. Um, so as I, as we, we talked earlier about pasteurization, non-pasteurization, right? Uh, the United States is really about the only country in the world that doesn't pasteurize most of our draft beer, okay? So a lot of our packaged goods can be but in Europe, because of, again, that's where it all started, right? I mean, that's just simply where it started uh, to do that. When, 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 the, when the caveman yeah. dropped an apple in a puddle of water and got fermentation, I mean, that's where it started, right, uh, to do that. Because of packaging and everything, you know, all the product was flat. It had carbonation, but it was able to escape, right? So if you, even if you served it warm, it didn't matter, right? Because, you know, the alcohol was still in there, but there was no carbonation, Right. Uh, real cat, real ale, right? Uh, uh, to do that. If you've had that, I'm sure, um, you know, uh, uh, Americans, uh, we don't really like that 52 degree stuff, do we? Right. Uh, I, I have seen more people turn their nose up at a look. And again, I told you, I'm a porter a stout guy and I'll get an oatmeal stout on a, a beer engine and, you know, got has a head on it because they make it come out uh, uh, to do that. And it just looks absolutely fantastic with me. Yeah. And I'll be having with two other people and they're like, oh, I think their cooler's broken. No, it's supposed to be that way. But that beer does is so low in carbonation right. that it, it, it doesn't do what we're talking about here, right? Uh, to be able to do that. So uh, the, the truth of the matter is they did they, they most of the breweries over there and, and I'm sure there'll be some exceptions, but they they pasteurize all their their beer, whether it's package or, 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 or draft. Right. OK, I've been I haven't been everywhere, but I've been off campus a couple of times here and I was amazed because I thought everybody did the same thing as we did. Right. Right. We keep our, generally we keep our draft beer cold. Right. To do that. I was in a lot of coolers in Australia and, and uh, some other places as well in Europe. And the beer is all sitting in a cooler or in a back room at either ambient temperature or 
in a cooler, but at 60 degrees, okay? And then what they do, it's all got carbonation in it, right? It's all got carbonation, it's beer. Yeah. Yeah. Is they make it cold on the way. It's called flash chilling on the way. So they right. have a different draft system than you would find at your local long draw system in Philly or Chicago here as well too, right? So when the beer comes to out the faucet, it's cold, but it's just in the back room at uh, you know a, a warmer temperature per se. And that just drove me nuts, right? If you have a cooler and you can make it 60, why don't you make it 40 right. <laughs> where, we, where we could do that? But it's just, it's a whole different animal uh, to do that. I will say as Micromatic, we're a global company and we supply those systems as well too. We are getting a lot more interest in the American way, if you will, believe it or not. People mm. love us. They don't say they do, but they do because <laughs> we are, it, ours is a superior, it's a superior way of doing that. But again, uh, you know, the, the, having a, a pasteurized product, it, it is protected from a lot of the things that our, our beer unfortunately gets afflicted to, right. Mm. Uh, uh, to do that. So, uh, so that's kind of there again, that warmer beer, um, you know, a cask real ale, depending on who you talk to. If, uh, I know a couple of uh, British gents that, uh, they would be mad and heck at me right now for, for disparaging their product, but, uh, um, uh, a, a good size, uh, uh, local brewery, regional brewery here, in town, the, the brewer's a great guy. He has two beer engines as well. And he started, when he started, uh, everything was at 55 degrees. He couldn't give it away. He couldn't give it away. Mm. He put it in the same cooler with his beer at 38 degrees. He sells the heck out of it, right? Mm. It's still a cask, but it's just it's just too cold for yeah. a proper English gent would not be happy. Let's just put it <laughs> So say, you know, we have a long tap line maybe it's a hundred feet how much how many degrees might that lose on the way to the tap so on a properly designed a properly insulated a properly installed draft beer system okay my cooler's 38 degrees again this is just what we were aiming for we, we don't always hit that correct right but 38 is always our base number here i have 38 degrees at the faucet okay so to maintain that though, that 100 feet in between, I have ambient temperature. Everything's trying to attack me, right? Everything, and I mean everything, wants to be ambient temperature. So we have to use what's called glycol. It's an antifreeze, right? Yep. And there's a, a, I'm sure you're familiar with kind of a, a beer line, a trunk line with multiple beer lines and yep. to do that. And uh, inside this, this, there might be eight, 10, 12 beer lines, whatever. There's lots of different number configurations. We have then also these extra lines that are full of this cold antifreeze, right? It's called glycol. Yep. It's a, a food grade antifreeze that we get. We make that though, 29 degrees. Kind of the rule of thumb there is, Whatever temperature you want at the bar, that antifreeze has to be approximately 10 degrees colder than that, okay? Because okay. to, to, we have to maintain, right? The walk-in cooler's in the back doing its job. Yeah. The bar's up front, but, you know, how do we keep that beer cold all the way, right? So we have to circulate uh, this, this 10 degree or so colder antifreeze, and that touches all those beer lines, and they all touch each other. They're insulated to be able to do that, so... Um, we would go colder than that, right? Think about Florida, Texas, these places, you know, uh, it's just hot all the time, right? Here, you, for you and me, we, we, you know, just are coming out of winter here, uh, but they're hot, you know, 350 days a year to be able to do that. 
We would go colder if we could, but beer not in motion, meaning beer just sitting there, right? When they close down at night or whatnot, uh, lower alcohol will freeze, okay? Beer starts to freeze around 28 degrees, depending on the, uh, the alcohol, right? The ABV uh, on that to do that. And we're starting to see, I'm starting to see a lot more for three percenters, right? Lawnmower beers that uh, yeah. uh, folks are, are making. It's a great thing. You know, you can have a couple and still function and whatnot. Yeah. You know, that would literally freeze in the tubes overnight, possibly to be able to do that. So I would go colder if I could, but I really can't to do that. Now, if you told me it was all 10 percenters that we're having, then we could go colder. But, you know, that it's it, it it's just because then the customer constantly changes product from this flavor to that flavor. So that, that's where that kind of comes from. Approximately 10 degrees colder than I want to to, to put it in the cup. Um, Perfect. Makes sense. Let's, yeah. let's skip over some of the other items within that, the draft line cleaning. And we'll, I want to get to our topic of, and I want to be just, you know, cognizant of your time um, real quick glassware conditioning. That was something that, you know, the way we clean it, we hit it with some, uh, you know, fresh, clean water right before it gets poured. So um, we talked about, the temperature. Now, can we talk about the actual glass that it's being poured into? Right. So many friends now, so many friends now, you know, they're like, I put my glasses in the freezer and now I'm going to pour the beer. And I'm like, that's not good. Right. <laughs> so no, that's the worst, just about the other than not cleaning it about the worst thing you could ever do. Right. Uh, uh, to do that. So we need to make sure that the glass is properly cleaned. Right. Uh, I, I mentioned I was talking with some, uh, I did a training class with a gas company yesterday, uh, Wednesday this week, excuse me. And the customer was complaining that their gas was bad because he was making their beer flat. Okay. The gas guy, right? What does he got to do with the beer and what does he got yeah. to do with the glass? But it turned out that the customer was washing the glassware is wrong, using the wrong soap. And you've probably seen this it's very common that the beer looks great. It has a head on it, but it's yeah. gone in three seconds. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that can be from too much sanitation, the wrong soaps, oil-based soaps, these types of things, you know, uh, Dawn dishwashing liquid. I don't want to use that, right? I want to make sure I'm doing the same th right, right amount. And then, you know, people, depending on how they wash their glassware, it's generally a wash or rinse a sanitizer, right? Well, that sanitizer needs to air dry. But on a busy night, what do they do? Wash, rinse, sanitize, boom, pour you another one as well, yeah. too. That sanitizer can can have some odors to it, right? It smells like a swimming pool for, for lack of a better term to be able to do that. That's probably not, you know, in the flavor profile that that brewer worked their tail off to, to get there, <laughs> right? So to, what we have today, we've had them for mm, 10 plus years, 15 years maybe now, but these glass rinsers, okay? This is a, a uh, just a, a spritzer device that could be in the, the drip tray. Um, they could be sitting separately as well too. Uh, to do that, we see bars that are making cocktails and, and different things, using it to, to fresh out the uh, the glassware. Uh, glassware can pick up dust and dirt and, you know, whatever, if it's sitting around a long time. So to be able to do that. But believe it or not, talking about our CO2 again, uh, a wet glass will accept a beer easier than a dry glass. OK, if there's a, a system that's right on the edge of being funky and then that beer as it's poured in hits this kind of it's not a scratchy we use glass because it's smooth right that's the whole reason we use it um i'm sure you've never poured beer into a styrofoam cup have you not unless maybe no, i really had going to somewhere one tailgate time. i hope <laughs> that's not, what though. i'm saying but it just foams up to beat the band right we use glass because it's smooth right so uh, um, you know, when, when there's any kind of thing on there uh, to do that. So these glass rinsers, uh, kind of the industry 
joke is it's the beer bidet, right? Uh, right. To do that, <laughs> it really can help reflect, refresh, and rinse the glassware out as well. Uh, depending on how cold the the you know the, the the bar water is, the street water can actually even chill the glass a little bit, right? If I just yeah. got a whole batch of glassware from the dishwasher. And it's, it's, you know, smoking hot uh, on a busy night as well, too. It really doesn't chill the glass. We have designed systems where they've actually used like a jockey box coil, or if you're familiar with a, yep. you know, dispensing that I can run ice water and really actually chill the glassware as well, too. So, um, again, now back to your uh, uh, bad, bad question here about frozen glassware, right? So what do people do? They wash, they rinse, they sanitize, and they throw it into a deep freezer, right? Uh, or, you know, even at your house or your buddy's house or whatever it is, but they actually make these commercial deep freezers, you know, for this exact purpose, right? A glass mm -hmm. froster. Uh, and, and they can be 30, 35 below zero because they work really, really fast. Well, think about if you turn a glass, you get a glass out of the, the last sanitizer, and then it's all these drips and dribbles coming out of it and stuff. Well, they get frozen on solid now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I always tell people to take that glass out of the froster or the freezer and rub your hand on the inside of that glassware. And I say, even be careful. You're going to cut yourself because there's all kinds of sharp edges and jag where the water has, you know, yeah. as it was dribbling down, frozen, right? And besides that, generally, what is that? That's that same sanitizer. So again, you smell that now when it melts to do that. So when people pour this 38 degree beer into a maybe 20 below glass, that temperature extreme just makes the CO2 in that beer just go insane, right? To be able to do wow. that. So by having these glass rinsers, we truly try to do it if people are going to use frozen glass where we try to talk them out of it, but there are some folks that do do it. Uh, what, hack, what can help with that glass rinser is it can rinse some of that uh, residual frozen away, melt it so the glass is smooth again, and let, let's get rid of that chlorine smell and odor too. So mm -hmm. it, it really does a nice thing. I, I always say, I think it does three things, right? It, number one, it actually does serve a purpose. It, it can rinse any residual sanitizer that might be in there. Uh, it, it, it also um, could chill the glass a little bit as well, too. And number two, I, I always call it a beer theater. I, I think it looks cool. It looks great. Right. You know, uh, it, you know, not everybody's up there at the bar. If you don't see it, it, you don't get that visual. But that's a little bit beer theater. I always call that right. So. They, they, work, they were really expensive when they first came out and nobody wanted to do it. And now they, it's, it's no different than a normal drip tray, if you, if you know what I'm talking about yeah. there, yeah. Uh, to do that. It's, it's really no different. We would have to have a plumber plumb a, a water line to it uh, to do that. But they're almost, it's a, just a no-brainer anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, see I love almost. them. I love them. But last, one last thing, though, and we've had... Of course, when they first came out, we got the call from so many health departments, right, uh, with this. It's not meant to clean the glass. It's not a cleaner. The glass must be properly cleaned prior, and then let's use this as well. So um, some misunderstanding on that. Okay, good. Yeah. David, would you say that if I'm going to pour a beer from, you know, a can or a bottle into a glass at home that I should wet that glass first? Completely up to you. Uh, okay. You know, a can or a bottle, obviously we have so much more control over that. I can take my time at home, right? If I get a little wild, yeah. I can let it, the head settle down and do that. Where, uh, you know, in a, a live bar, so you don't have time to do that, right? You got to get the, to the customer. So uh, to do that, but I would encourage you to pour it into a glass, right? Yep. Uh, I, I've had plenty straight out of the can or bottle, right? But it's all about letting that gas break out of solution and bring those flavors up to your nose and, and, and everything else as well too. Uh, you'll do that again. 
getting be warm. I got some, you know, lawnmower beers myself and I'm yeah. not doing, you know, it'll be knocking back or if I'm on a canoe trip or whatever, but, but, you know, I always encourage people to even cans or bottles to pour it into a glass. I, I do the same. I was at uh, the dogfish head uh, brewery in, in Milton, Delaware, my wife, and we're taking the tour and the woman there is telling us, she's like, can you always pour your beer into a glass? And my wife looks at me and I look back and I was like, I told you. <laughs> was, <laughs> there you go. Was awesome. Vindication. Yeah. So, all right, right now we have a problem, right? The draft systems and the kegs of beer have been kind of in, you know, what I would call hibernation, right? So right now, how do we, how do we bring these out of hibernation now that, you know, bars and restaurants are opening and, and beer is now starting to flow a little bit more? Can we walk through a couple steps to uh, make sure that the beer comes out right? Yeah, so uh, the biggest thing, I guess, was how was it put into hibernation, right? Was anything done? Um, we, we came up, I mean, obviously everybody was scrambling when the COVID started and everything. This has never happened to anybody before. We didn't know, right, to yeah. be able to do that. So, um, you know, people were calling us constantly. What should we do? What should we do? What should we? And, and we're like, um, okay, so we put our heads together and we're the manufacturer, right? We make this stuff. Uh, uh, you know, what would be best for us that, you know, I'm not, and I don't make the beer and that, but but so, so we, we came up with a, a shutdown procedure. Uh, the Brewers Association came up with a shutdown procedure. Anheuser-Busch came down with a shutdown procedure. Um, there's, there's some very big uh, uh, draft line service companies throughout, some regionally, some throughout the different parts of the country. They came up, their customers were coming to them. What should we do? And we were all very similar in, in, in our our shutdown procedures, some yep. different tweaks here and there, but we don't need to get into that, but, but to be able to do that. Um, so if it was done properly, then it's as easy as uh, we would always say, almost like a seasonal shutdown, right? Um, you're in Philly, you're in a cold weather area. You must have some seasonal outdoor golf courses, beer gardens, music venues, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have seasonal shutdowns, so it's not like it was uncommon for us for that uh, to do that, but um, you know, how was it done? So unfortunately, I'm, we're getting so many calls. And again, as each area of the country opens up, we're hearing so many different stories, right, uh, uh, to do this. I have some of the nastiest beer, funky growth uh, uh, mold that just, I mean, you would I, you understand why sometimes people don't want draft beer, right? Uh, some of this <laughs> stuff, because it is alive and it grows, right, uh, to be able to do that. So if it was properly shut down, which meant, uh, clean, blown dry, nothing left in the in the lines. The glycol actually left running, right? Which most people didn't want to do because now their electric bill is still turning and stuff. But we could turn it up to a higher temperature because we didn't have any beer to chill to do that. So unfortunately, now um, refrigeration really doesn't like to be turned off and on. So uh, there's so many people. We're getting hundreds and hundreds of calls of, you know, they turned it back on and it doesn't work, meaning their glycol, their refrigeration part of the system, right? Uh, most of the breweries, you know, a lot of them were, were really, really good about taking the beer back initially. Um, right. um, many, many stories of breweries taking thousands and thousands of kegs back, giving credit, God yeah. bless them, you know, to help these folks out and whatnot. Uh, but those were the folks that, you know, they were able to get in and get that product out of there. So many people simply, you know, turned off the lights and locked the door and left, right, uh, to be able to do that. So yeah. 
um, you know, out of date beer, uh, again, okay. dirty things and that, and this and that, uh, I was at lunch yesterday, uh, with a couple folks and, uh, the, uh, place has 16 beers on tap and the, the lady manager who we do know, uh, said she still is having a difficult time getting beer, uh, you know, to be able to do that. Something will be come in and the customers love it and she can't get another, you know, barrel of it. Right. It, it's, okay. it's, uh, shortages or, you know, people have 20 beers on tap, Kyle, and, it's hard to get, or they just not don't have the volume, but yet, so they're only going to put, you know, 10 beers on tap or six, beer, you know, just to get started as well too. So, uh, you know, the, to get going though, the first thing we did, got to make sure it's clean, right? Uh, it needs to be properly cleaned. Uh, even like I mentioned on the seasonal, right? We would clean it at the end of the season and we would clean it before the, the next as well too, right? Uh, to do that. So, yeah. you know, anything that was left in there is could be damaging, obviously the beer. Uh, the good thing about that is most modern draft system. And when I say modern, I mean, maybe 10 years or newer, uh, the tubing and most, a lot of stainless steel equipment's yep. used and, and it can be recovered. It can be clean, right? Trust me, it's going to be not nasty, but it can be say brought back to, to health, right. To be able to do that, but it has to be done properly as well, uh, uh to do that. So need a qualified person to do that. Um, you know, uh, they're out there, but this may be a service that I'd have to pay for, right? Uh, uh, obviously, your crowd, the brewers, what do they do all day? They clean. They do nothing but clean anyways. So this should be uh, <laughs> yeah. a no-brainer to them, but I've been in a lot of breweries, maybe not as many as you, and it does seem to fall through the cracks, right? The, the brewery, the back of the house is clean as a whistle, but the front yep. of the house, eh, things yep. happen uh, to do that. So uh, by that, and then making sure the refrigeration is up to snuff again, right? Our first C was cold uh, to do that. So did the walk-in cool? Is it working properly, right? Is the glycol unit working properly uh, to be able to do that? Is the product fresh, right? Um, that's my, one of my big fears or worries. I guess maybe not a fear, but a worry is, hey, people are 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 are. I'm ready to go back out. I got my vaccinations. I'm ready to go. Uh, but, but a lot of uh, end users are telling us, you know, people are just hesitant to come out. And when they finally do though, by golly, that beer better be good, right? Yeah. It better be good. And if they, they were hesitant enough to come out and then, eh, you know, I've been getting pretty good carry out and yeah. I can get packaged goods at, at home and watch Netflix, right. To, to do yeah. that. So, so, you know, to, to pour some, not proper stuff, you know, boy, people, there's so much pent up ambition to go out and, 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 you know, get back to somewhat normal. And, and I, I, we just need it to be good. We need it to be good. Yeah. You expect it uh, to that point. So I had gone golfing with a client. This was like, you know, shutdown kind of happened uh, right March, 2020. And then I think it was like July, we went out for a round of golf, you know, we get to the golf course and we're literally like the only people there, which was kind of nice. Right. So we're spread out. There's nobody out there. We finish our round of golf. And after our round of golf, we're like, let's have a beer, right? I ordered a beer that I'm very familiar with from a local brewery that is a phenomenal beer. It's always consistent. I know what it looks like. I know what it tastes like. I know what it smells like. And this beer gets poured into my glass. And I'm like, that doesn't look the same. It's much darker. <laughs> um, this beer does not smell the same. And this doesn't even taste like the same beer. But you got to think that keg's been sitting there from, you know, February, March, all the way through to July and wasn't touched. And to your point, maybe the refrigeration was off track. Like, so again, you know, you get that bad experience. Um, and if I was somebody who never had that beer before, I'd be like, oh, I'm never going to this brewery. 
No, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, there's too many beers out there. I guess I don't, I can knock that one off the list. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And again, that's why I feel bad for the breweries. Cause it's, it's not, I know that's not it's a not proper them. representation of what they yeah. work their butt off to do. Okay. So you have the dormant state of the draft system. What about, you know, products or chemicals that are left in the lines, you know, are they cleaning the lines prior after every two weeks, that sort of thing. And I know you guys coach on that. Well, that was our, our recommendation is it would be better to leave beer in the lines and the refrigeration on. Okay. Okay. But then you do need to clean it every two weeks. And again, you can imagine where the pushback was here. They, they, they're not open for a year. Why Lost would they money. do that? Right. Uh, to be able to do that. So the next thing would, would have been to uh, clean and then get blow the lines dry multiple ways of doing that uh, to do that. But unfortunately a lot of people uh, cleaned, left water in there, turned off the refrigeration. We're not having to worry because if you would have left the refrigeration on, the water would freeze in the lines, right? You can damage the equipment. Water expands when it freezes and you break lines and things happen like that. It does happen from time to time, but <laughs> there's so much stuff in water. You don't even want to know about it, right? There's chlorine in water. There, there's all kinds of things that uh, number one, it, it can be damaging to the tubing, right? Uh, yeah. um, you know, one of our biggest enemies of our current beer line tubing is, is, is chlorine. Well, so we tell people not to clean with chlorine, but they fill it full of water that's not full of chlorine, but enough for a long period of time. It can pick up some flavors. Chlorine can burn through. There's what's called barrier tubing, and it's a layer of, of a liner inside the tube, so nothing gets in or sticks to it or the, all these things. And it can actually burn through that and, and damage the, the lines, right? And then it can leave some residual stuff if you've seen old water, you know, in a hose or something, even at the end of the season. Not the best smelling thing, right, yeah, to be able to do so. David, is that what we call it, beer stone residue? No, not, not, no, beer stone. That's a different animal. That, that's okay. a natural part of beer, uh, of, of, of stuff. So, but just leaving water in there, right? It's just okay. horrible to do, but you know, that, and then people thought, well, I'll just leave my chemical in there because, you know, geez, the longer you clean something, the better. Well, no, that's really bad too. Again, now we have chemical plus the water that has the chlorine that's mixed with. And again, and, uh, over long periods of time, that's really not good for the equipment. And then we're always concerned when somebody, turn something back on that they don't understand that there's chemical in there. And unfortunately there's been too many, too many uh, uh, cases of customers being served a beer, uh, you know, half a beer with some chemical in it as well too. And uh, very, very bad news for all that too. So again, we, we recommended clean and dry uh, to do that, but obviously it didn't happen all, all elsewhere. And, and again, if these lines that are hundred foot long, like you had mentioned before, pretty common out there, uh, if that whole line is tainted now, it doesn't matter if they have all 10 new fresh kegs, right? Uh, they could pick up some of these flavors. And then again, very difficult. You can't see inside these tubes, right? You can't right. see it's up in the ceiling. It's underneath the, the basement crawl space or wherever it's at. And so the customer just thinks it's a bad keg, a customer, you know, or, you know, that bought that. And then, you know, the beer salespeople, oh, okay, I'll give you credit. And then the next, you know, again, it, these, these lines could, that could cost literally thousands of dollars to replace, by the way, yeah. too. Now people are very hesitant to, you know, to obviously do that too. So that, these can be some long-term effects that that we're, we're yet to see, right? We could might be something to be concerned about. I guess it all kind of comes back to Benjamin Franklin's quote, right? In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, in water there is bacteria. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say it's like at least if even if they would have left beer in there and turned the, at least the beer has some alcohol to you know uh, to fight some of these pathogens and, and that and. and you don't, 
I'm a big water fan, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to leave that in there. So. Anyway, how about uh, like pressure systems, gas alarms, gauges, CO2, secondary regulators? So uh, uh, really not a, any damage for long-term uh, uh, hibernation of that stuff uh, as well. Um, you know, depending on uh, the temperature where the hoses are, some of these vinyl hoses can get brittle in their old age, but maybe they were old to begin with as well too, who knows, uh, to be able to do that. But it would be uh, uh, good to, to um, make sure once we turn our pressures on, we would test all that, check for leaks, uh, uh, make sure the system is, you know, nothing happened. Um, when somebody was cleaning and breaking things down, they didn't, un, uh, uh, you know, we told people to take the beer keg couplers off, right? Well, that's got a gas line to yep. it. And, yep. you know, again, make sure all our fittings are nice and tight. Um, lots of gas leaks out there on a normal good day, right? Yeah. Uh, to do that. So, but that's, again, should be a qualified for someone that is, it's not that hard, but someone and, and literally start it you know, the, the, at the cylinder, at the tank of gas, and then just walk through each uh, uh, step of the system. And, and there are ways uh, of, of pressure testing, troubleshooting, you know, do these things. These would be all good things to do. Uh, you know, uh, probably one of the first things you'd want to do, because you could even do it in the walk-in cooler when it's not running yet. And then, you know, uh, it's, Start from scratch. It wouldn't be quite yeah. as cold and they're working for two hours, but uh, sure. uh, this shouldn't take two hours, but, but really not a lot of long-term uh, uh, negatives for, you know, that equipment sitting. Um, um, just want to make sure if, again, we supposedly had a lot of loose lines because we told people to take this equipment off, meaning these hoses would just be kind of hanging. And, and uh, I know you don't have any critters in Philadelphia, but the bugs seem to like beer and gas lines and they find little uh, places to crawl in and uh, make a little condo and, uh, uh, you know, who knows what, but. Yeah, I mean, hey, in a brewery, you got a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of the, the, you know, the malt is, you know, it's sweet, it's sugar. The, the pests love that stuff. I mean, that's always right. something we ask. Do you have a pest control company on hand or are you keeping your products raised off the floor, right? Um, those, those critters do have a... I'm just reading some interesting, some interesting threads off of either Pro Brewer or the Brewers Association about uh, mice and grain and uh, it just it was an ongoing. So <laughs> again, you, maybe you don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> exactly. Hey, at least the, water's, the water gets hot, right? Hopefully burns some right? of that out. Yes, sir. All right. Are you okay? You got a few more minutes? Absolutely, sure. All yeah. right, cool. So uh, talking about the couplers, right? And I saw the fobs and drain lines and the pumps and then even that, you know, the, the glass rinser, right? So again, when you're disconnecting those things, they can leak um, and that can leak over time. That can cause issues. Um, that's something, I mean, I've seen some, some nasty, you know, keg tops, right? They're, they can get some nasty stuff going on there. Yeah. And that, that is just, uh, uh, when something's growing like that, like I'm assuming you're talking about here, that's beer. People have taken beer bath after yeah. beer bath or leaks or this or that. And, and that's the, that's our, our wonderful, not pasteurized beer, right? Full of bacteria, full of yeast, full of things that are alive. Mm -hmm. They're alive. And what do they do? They grow and grow and expand and multiply uh, to be able to do that. Right. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, a, a beer lines get dirty because that's happening inside the beer line where you can't see it. Uh, but then that manifests itself as off taste, off flavors, right? Popcorn, sour, a sour that's not supposed to be sour. Yeah. Let's put it that way yeah. uh, 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 to do that. So, you know, uh, um, sulfur, you know, just lots of different off flavors, off taste, uh, to be able to do it. Well, it's because of this bacteria, because it's been allowed to build up. Now the stuff you see in the walking cooler, that's external. And then 
uh, in the at, at the faucet end, at the cooler end, that's where when things really go, that's mold. Okay, well, it's, mold is part of it. Mold has to have air, oxygen to grow. Mm-hmm. So mold can't grow in the beer line per se, right? The CO2 in the beer would kill it. Uh, the CO2 will kill everything except what's actually naturally in there. Right. But anything you see externally down in the basement in the cooler, or, you know, if you see a, uh, the faucet's got some growth on them, that's mold, uh, to be able to do that. And, and again, that's, the mold's got everything. It's got a food source. It's got oxygen. It's got heat uh, or yes. in a walk-in cooler, generally colder. So when you see a lot in a walk-in, that means it's been there a long time, right. right? It takes a long time to grow in the cold much faster out at the bar, right. If it's got temperature to, to, to do that. So it's got every little thing, uh, a beer booger would want, right? We say so. There you go. And uh, for all those insurance folks out there, the uh, mold fungi is typically an exclusion on your business policy and on your homeowner's policy. So FYI, oh, because, because it's been sitting there for a while and you're not taking care of it. So they're, you know, right. that's kind of their... Well, I, I hate to say it, but we see that before all this. <laughs> right. Uh, Talk I'm to me sure about the, have... the forgotten drip tray. I feel like that that gets overlooked. That gets nasty. People forget about it. It does. You know, it, 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 it's, uh, that is a source if we don't keep that clean every night. And it's as simple as running some water down the drain after the, the you know, on the shutdown procedure uh, uh, to do that, right? Some hot water would be great if you can get it at the end of the night. Uh, I see people putting chemical and bleach down there. Now bleach eats stainless steel, believe it or not. Your brewers do know that for sure. Yeah. But at the bar, we do see a lot of these drip trays after five, six, 10 years. And people, oh, it's leave. Well, because they put bleach down it every night with the thought that it's going to kill, which it does, right? It kills everything uh, to everything. do that. But it is really important that we keep those uh, drip trays clean because that's where a lot of the fruit flies come from, quite honestly, right? Yeah. People, you know, they've been called fruit flies forever. And obviously, if you ever had a bowl of fruit, they're, they, they're, they're there, but yeah. they're mostly coming from drains, right? And your mm-hmm. drip tray is another drain, whether it's a floor drain or something. So all those drains, it's just got everything in there a bug would want to, to live on. Right. And so if you can keep this flushing that down, uh, uh, you know, on a nightly basis, uh, to be able to do that when we actually clean the beer lines, our, you know, we end up with, you know, a gallon, two gallons of residual chemical water that once we're done with it, well, I always tell people we, that's part of the procedures, pour some of that down the drip train because excuse me, down the drip tray, because what are we doing? We're killing and eating and, and removing the same stuff that was in the beer lines. Uh, just looks more gross there because you can see it, but but always a good thing to do to to keep that number one from uh, uh, flowing properly, so you don't have to call a plumber to to you know to to clear a clog like you would yep. in other places uh, to be able to do that. And again, keep that food source down, and that keeps the the little pest uh, to a minimum as well too. So you'd be amazed how many will live in there, and, and you know these swarms of fruit flies and. I'm sure the high quality places you stay go to, they don't have that issue, but uh, okay. <laughs> I've been to some places, they're swarms. <laughs> I like it. What if say, say I have, you know, 20 taps and, you know, right now I only have 15 kegs, right? So I have five empty beer lines, you know, do you fill that with your old or, you know, least expensive beer or what, what are your thoughts there? So we, yes, we would want those because the whole part of keeping that beer cold that we talked about earlier, right? That 29 degree antifreeze, but all all 20 of those beer lines touch each other as well inside that beer line bundle, right? So they need each other to be cold to, to spread that cold 360 degrees around that bundle to do that. So you can have a couple of empties, right? We would call them a deadline here. It used to be a pattern, uh, 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 not a pattern, a uh, uh, just a way we did things way back in the day. If somebody was going to put eight beers on tap, 
they would buy a 10, maybe a 10 product beer line. And it was, the thought was, Hey, down the road, if I want to have two more, I can have that. Right. Or if something goes wrong with one of the lines, it's already in there. I'm not ripping up the ceiling to do this and that. So, but, but our, our rule of thumb was always two empties. Now you could have more, but then you would need to fill them with something because I need all those lines touching with and, again, and that's, you that's fit, changing the temperature of the beer when they're empty. Correct. Correct. So remember, we need to maintain everything uh, to do that. And, and so we could even, we would put glycol, the same glycol. Some people would do that. And then it would just get cold. Once it was cold, it would stay cold. And then it was touching those non-use or the, you know, if you've ever seen the inside of a, a beer line bundle, if you will, they all touch each other and yep. they need to do that. Uh, otherwise the ones that are not being, Children, like usually the outside ones, if you will, that they would be hot spots, and you could certainly have uh, issues with with those lines that were not being properly chilled. So, yeah, that's a great question. Another Easy question to do too, by the yeah. way, you could use your less expensive beer. You could use. Um, I wouldn't really use water because, again, water will freeze eventually. Um, mm. But uh, folks have a little mixture. Again, water's got so much stuff in it. But uh, people would use again the glycol that we've talked about before. And then once things back open, we can get it out. It is a food grade. We don't have to worry about, you know, uh, uh, any any damaging yeah. thing to that. Clean okay. it, and then it would be good when we get back, hopefully, to those last five beers as well. Okay. So say uh, I'm a brewery or I'm a restaurant and I have my tap system, and I have a couple sour beers on tap. Should I be dedicating sour beer, you know, two specific tap lines consistently because of the different bacteria within those beers? Well, why would you have sour beer in tap? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not That's the bar me. owner. No, no, no. That's just me. That's just me. I'm not there yet. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> okay. So here's here's the deal. So a, a lot of there are we still use vinyl tubing in draft systems. Okay. Vinyl is a very porous, very wonderful material. Great, easy to use, cheap. Uh, to do that. Generally, you'll see it when you walk into the beer cooler and that would, we would call a jumper line. And that's a, a very flexible tubing going to go from the keg up to the wall to do that. Right. And that's what the staff, everybody's pulling and tugging on every time they're changing a barrel of beer. So we have to have the flexibility of that. Now, there are some newer materials on the market in the last few years that are not near as porous or anything uh, uh, to be able to do that. So it is, it's very, it will absolutely absorb. It's a porous material. So it'll absorb whether it's the, you know, the sour or the sweet or the blueberry or apricot or whatever it is, lemonade, root beer back in the old days as well too. Yeah. And it, you would, you can never get it out. You simply cannot get it out. Okay. Mm. You can clean and clean and clean. So you could change it though too, right? It was only a little bit of the system. It's not the whole, but what we were talking about earlier, these glycol lines, they're a hard material. They have a barrier tube in them, a liner like, and, and obviously there's new stuff coming down the pipe every single day, right? With new, wonderful, uh, crazy brewers that are doing the wonderful things that they're doing here. And so we don't know everything yet, right? We're learning as we go. A lot of kombucha out there too, right? With all kinds of uh, scobies and all kinds of other flavors Mm -hmm. and sour, Mm -hmm. you know, this and that. So generally uh, uh, the tubes though, so far, you know, the hundred foot run is okay. But it's that starting line, that jumper line. And then also it can be in the tower. A lot of the beer towers, uh, my competitors, uh, us even as well, we've, a lot of times when we install a system, we have to put in what's called a choker line. And that might be a little bit of that vinyl material right at the very end. It might be two feet, three feet, 
six inches and that, but okay. that's completely buried, Kyle, right? I can't get to that really. It's yeah. really difficult to, to dig that out, but we could change these vinyl things. That's what we've always done when any kind of seasonal beer came and, you know, it was lemonade or whatever, or a lot of shandies and, and things as well yeah. too. Okay. We just take that. We take that real porous piece off, clean it properly. Uh, that with stainless steel faucets, stainless steel shanks, they can all, they, they, they have no flavor, you know, pick up or anything is all too. So I, if, you know, if, if you're going to have it, keep it on that one, right. For sure. But if, if you're going to change, then, then, you know, ask, ask somebody, Let, let's change some of these porous pieces that we can and, and it'll go a long way. That's great information. Is that, you know, hazy IPAs, beers with lactose, is that kind of the same situation or is that not as important as the, the sour? Well, any, any beer, I, I don't care if it's the, the, the lightest light of the lawnmower beer, that vinyl tubing, if it's, if that's the only vinyl in the system, it's going to pick it up over, over time or right. something. Right. And, you know, think about rotation nation, right. I, I mean, uh, uh, I know several bars in Philly there. And I mean, they've yeah. had a thousand different flavors through those yep. lines. Right. And they've never changed them. Uh, uh, to do that. So that vinyl is always a, a, a part that we want to keep tabs on. Uh, Brewers Association says every once a year, all vinyl and system should be changed. And we wholeheartedly agree with that, right? Uh, uh, to be able to do that. If, if you ran, you know, one keg for a one-off uh, beer pairing, I wouldn't be that concerned about it necessarily, right. maybe. But again, if you did it for a three-month seasonal and then it ran its course, I would for sure change any vinyl that I could. Makes sense. Awesome. David, this has been a tremendous conversation. It's been a lot of fun. And I appreciate Good. your knowledge. You. I appreciate you uh, keeping our beer cold, carbonated, and clean. Right? The three C's. I hope everybody will – hope that, that should stick in everybody's head. Right? I like things in threes as well. Our cavemen brains, we like threes. Uh, where can we find more about Micromatic? Uh, micromatic.com. Um, we have a website, we have, uh, all kinds of training classes that we offer. Uh, obviously everything has been on, on hold, but we're, we're looking, uh, at getting this thing back started, uh, August, uh, uh timeframe. Um, we do training, we make this equipment, Kyle, we should know what it does. That's always been what I've said. We don't know everything, but I, we've got a pretty good handle on what we do. Again, I don't make the beer. I'll let your, 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 uh, customers make that and we'll let, the glass people make the glass, but we make everything in between uh, to, to maintain that. Again, I want the same thing coming out at, that they work their butts off to put in. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys, you know, helping us bring our tap systems out of hibernation, you know, keeping our beer clean from keg to glass. So I appreciate you, David. Thank you so much. It's great. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. that'll do it for today's episode appreciate you tuning in i hope you learned something i hope you really enjoyed it and if so tell a friend leave that five-star rating i mentioned earlier and comment on apple podcasts subscribe on any platform spread it around the world let's make it happen i appreciate y'all cheers and beer mighty things